listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, if you're new with us, um, we've been traveling through a, a series about encounters in the sense that individuals throughout the scriptures have encountered Jesus. And what we've been trying to do is really trace the threads of how Jesus interacted, how people came, why people came to Jesus, and how he, he touched their lives, not just as a descriptor of, hey, look what happened to this individual, but really the desire application-wise is to sense that that every time we come to Jesus, that there's a encounter, a touch, a change, a transformation that takes place, that, that God is working in significant ways as we come to Jesus or he comes to us. The unique part about all of these stories that we've walked through is that people have come to Christ for different reasons, some because of suffering and illness. One last week came to Jesus, not because she wanted to, but because of her sin, she was thrust and objectified by the religious elite and thrown at the feet of Jesus as a a lesson or a test to see how Jesus would handle her sin and shame. This morning, we have someone that didn't come to Jesus either. Someone that Jesus went to intentionally. There's a significant reality that however, whatever the entry point is as to why someone encounters Jesus, there's an impact of that encounter that is life-altering. Things change. So as we enter this story this morning, I just want to share a bit or talk a little bit about how we're going to approach this. And we'll be in John chapter 4. It's one of the longest... um, uh, kind of communicated stories. There's a lot of different details in the Gospel of John as to as to this encounter that Jesus has with this uh, Samaritan woman, and we've we've walked through this story before, even here at this church. And I've I've preached this passage before, so there's something unique in a way that I want to approach it this morning, and I'll just give you very clearly what that is. I want to walk through the why behind the what. And what I mean by that is that there are details, events that are um, described for us in this woman's life. And we talk about those details, but the scripture also gives us a lot of the reasons, motivations, and emotions that led to the decisions that she made. The why behind the what. And here's a significant part of the reasons why. Because I think if we press in to the things that are underneath the surface and and look in with an open heart and open hands, I think what we'll see is the similarities between her story and ours. The thing about the human condition is that it's somewhat universal. Now, your story is unique. Your journey, my journey is different than your journey. But the things that are underneath the surface that motivate so many decisions are somewhat consistent. Sometimes they're hard to look into, but we do it nonetheless because what we want to see is in the midst of all of those areas that motivate the decisions we make, the encounters with Christ begin to change everything from the ground up. It changes the why, and in the process changes the what. 
So as we look, we're going to look at the, the why behind the what. Now, if you ever have the chance to travel to Scotland, which Aaron and I did, we were able to live there for a year, you'll land potentially in Scotland or in Edinburgh, and as you travel around the countryside, what you'll see is the countryside peppered with castles. There are castles everywhere in Scotland, some intact, like Edinburgh and Stirling Castle. These are full castles where they, they've, they've waged, a lot of wars have been waged, but they, they stood the test of time. The majority of the castles lay in ruins. If you travel down the A92 to Stonehaven, you'll come across one of our favorite castles. Donater Castle is a castle that hangs on the side of the coast and it sits up there on this precipice, beautiful castle that lays in ruins. If you walk through the castle, you'll be given a tour and the tour guide will tell you a story of why the castle is, where it is, and what happened in its history, the events that transpired to leave it in ruins. You'll hear stories of uh, the Vikings who made their way in and ransacked this castle and burnt almost everything to the ground that was able to be burned. It was rebuilt, and then you'd hear about those external conflicts of things coming in from the outside, but then you'd also hear about the internal conflicts. This is a castle that William Wallace took over from the English and his desire to take Scotland back from England. And he began to, to uh, run in there and he actually ended up, uh, one of the most important parts of his story is he actually had all these English people in the church and he locked it and he, he burned the church to the ground. And everyone in was killed. But then a few years later, England retook this castle. You'll see on the, um, the bricks and the stones of this castle, the, the sense and the stories of the fact that it's been mired in conflict for most of its life. What was there was supposed to be a, a bastion and a protection for the people within its walls became ruined because of external and internal war. The unique part about any castle and even one that lays in ruins is what we know about castles is also true about life. The interesting part of Donater Castle and the challenges is and although it lays in ruins, it's a, it's a place where tourists go and they, they hear stories of events that took place. But what you don't hear is the whys. What were the motivations? Who were the people? The small families that were a part of the castle that were just attempting to do life. You only hear about the outcomes of events, but not necessarily the real substance of the life that was lived and the lives that were taken. You just get a tour guide telling you stories of events that happen. And I imagine that's true for many of us in our lives. As we would look back on our stories, there would be those places where we would say... <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine that my life feels like it's just standing, but there are more ruins than there are real, true, vibrant aspects of life. Look back at bad decisions or things, external wars that we've fought with people around us or internal wars we've fought inside. And ultimately, what ends up happening, specifically as we encounter this Samaritan woman in John 4, is that shame overrules reason. 
that all of the things that she carries as she makes her way to this well that she's done for a while, she carries more than water buckets to fill up to take back home. She carries a journey of weight and wounding that is how she identifies herself. So the three whys that I think this story is going to highlight for us that are absolutely so critical, three influences, if you will, three voices that she listens to are critical places that I think if we allow the truth of the scriptures and Jesus to encounter us in those same spaces, it can be life changing. They're the personal, the public, and the practical. The personal, the public, and the practical. If you will, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to, yes, I know, read 43 verses, 42 verses. And I'm going to try not to screw it up with small uh, uh, words on the on the page. But So I might, I might go slow, but we're, we're going to get it together. But I want to really journey through our entire story with, with that lens. Remember, the question is, I want to know the why behind the what. So as you look at the decisions that she makes... Why she makes those decisions, what's underneath the surface, be able to see glimpses of the areas of the things that she's carrying and ultimately the places where God, through Christ, enacts change. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, his, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, 
Sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest or white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. For many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. It's a long story, but there's a lot of different uniquenesses and nuances as we begin to explore the why behind the what. And so we we encounter this woman, Samaritan woman in John 4, and we get some details about her life. Jesus shows up in Samaria, and the Bible tells us that he had to go. Well, in all practical purposes, that's not actually accurate. The Jews would walk around Samaria, so they wouldn't have to go through. He didn't have to go on a practical way. He had to go because he communicated at the end of this story that his goal is to do the will of the Father. It was a divine appointment that led him to this well. And so he goes and he sits there, and a woman comes to the well totally by herself. What? possibly could be the why behind the what what would motivate this decision because this is so abnormal it's atypical for a woman to be gathering water at the sixth hour the middle of the day and to be doing it alone would say that the text gives us some level of indication the indication is is that shame has overruled reason 
the what weight of the decisions that have impacted her life, the real chronic nature of her own life, the personal struggle that she faces, is that the personal voice that she experienced seeks to hide her failure. <laughs> Jesus gives her a diagnosis of the decisions that she has made, the decisions of chronically seeking happiness through relationships. We don't know the specific details of why those relationships ended. We have no idea what happened, but we do know that she has had five husbands and now has a live-in lover. She's carrying the weight of feeling like she knows that she doesn't measure up. The best thing for her, the place that she can find the most satisfaction is a place of loneliness. I want to go and be alone and just do what I have to do. The personal voice hides failure. I think for many of us, that's true. As we look at the ruins of this woman's life, there are places in our own hearts where we we feel the same. We look at the vestiges and the things that have taken place in the context of our own story. And we look back and we can say, uh, I wish I did, or some regrets or some bad decisions that have been made through the history of our life. And, and certainly we're worried about what that would mean and how people would receive us in those moments. But at the same time, we sit with those places of regret and wait, and we carry them on a daily basis as though we feel like we just don't measure up. <laughs> Loneliness is a better option than having to address the reality of what we feel. We don't even know what it would feel like to feel like this weight was taken off of us. We know our story. The tour guide would be telling us of the events of our life, but wouldn't be telling us the reasons why we did what we did. The personal voice that we face hides failure. When my kids were younger, we played that age-old game, hide-and-seek, right? And uh, I'm going to tell you to follow me for more parenting tips, but here's what we did. Here's what I did. There were times we played hide-and-seek, and they would go, and they would hide, and they would try and find a place that no one would look for them, and it was just this great game. But one of the things that I realized very early on is that there's some peace and quiet to be found if you don't look. <laughs> so... If you don't go and search for them when they're hiding, then you've got a little bit of space to just reconnect with the craziness and chaos of the world. And eventually they realize that you're not looking. And so they'll come back out and be like, Dad, I was hiding. How come you didn't find me? And I'm like, man, you hid really well. You're the best hider in the world. Follow me for more parenting tips. But so... So there's that space where I think when we think about the, the voice of failure that exists in all of our lives, that's the predominant question underneath the surface, is I'm hiding, but I'm not sure anyone's really looking. Would anyone really notice if the bottom fell out of my life? My, any, any relationship, or is there a sense in which my Shame is overrided reason. And so what I've done is I've distanced myself from relationships so that no one really knows the inner workings and the challenges that I, I walk through and I face. Does anyone really care? <laughs> Does anyone even really notice? Because I think even though the, the personal voice hides failure, the public voice highlights shame. Here's what happens as we walk through. There are places in our journey, decisions that we've made, sin that we've done that are a part of our story that people know about. 
They're aware of the details of our life. This woman who's noticed and communicated about as just based on her location. She's a Samaritan woman, but as she comes to the well, she carries more than empty water jugs. She carries this public shame of knowing she's that person in town. She's the one that can't hang on to relationships. She's the one that's made decisions. She's the one that chronically goes from husband to husband. She's the one that's now in a relationship that is not endorsed by God, but she's just given up and said, it's better to at least have someone around, even though it's not what I would really want or what I really desire. Everybody sees me as this anyway, so what difference does it really make? Why go to the well alone? You're sick and tired of hearing the gossip of everyone talking about you and about what you've done, but no one talks to you. You're the person that stories are told about, that around the dinner table, lessons are being taught to young kids of don't be like her. Find yourself carrying the weight of that shame. Loneliness, (laughs) much better uh, option than dealing with the weight of those chronic failures that everyone seeks to be highlighting that shame. So she comes to the well at the sixth hour, and that's exactly how she feels. There's the stories and the reality of Jesus encountering her and saying, give me water. And then Jesus is saying to her, look, I have have living water. And what that would do in the midst of her own heart might recollect a story from the prophet Jeremiah. When I say that we're trying to figure out the why behind the what, and some of it is universal, I think what we get is a picture of what she struggles with in her own life that comes from the very reason that God communicated to Jeremiah to talk to the people of God about specifically what he was frustrated with as well. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two sins, Jeremiah says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. My people have committed two evils. They've run away from the very source of all provision and life itself, the fountain of living waters. And what they've done is they've manufactured a life on their own, hoping that they can find their own happiness, their own desires, their own longings, their own hopes, that they can achieve the very things they want in life, and that God is just ancillary to those decisions. And God tells the prophet Jeremiah to communicate to the nation of Israel that very thing. You're building things that don't hold water. You're going back to dry wells that will never be a source of happiness. There are two wells in this story. The well of Jacob that she's at to draw water to just provide for the very needs of her life. And the deep wells in her life that are dry that she's been in search for happiness through the context of relationships. And has never found what she was looking for. It's interesting as she encounters Jesus, she's wrestling that the weight of the personal voice is hiding her failure. The the public voice is is highlighting her shame. But one of the key criteria in this also is that the practical voice, just the survival voice, accepts loneliness. Life has given her a life sentence. Have you ever felt that way? It just is what it is. Have you ever told yourself? 
I'm not sure that I'll ever be able to get it up or out of the weight of those chronic decisions. These are just things. There's, there's identity statements that exist and are embedded in this entire story. She sees herself through the lenses of her failure. The world and the public people around her, her village, sees her through the lenses of her failure. And her solution, the practical reality, is nothing can ever really ultimately change. Why? Because it just is what it is. There is no way I can get out from under the bad decisions I made. And even if everyone knew the story as to the reasons why I made the decisions that I made, it wouldn't really matter. Judgment has already been given. They already see me for who I am. And I can't run around all the time trying to justify why I've done what I've done. And it wouldn't make sense to them anyway. Life has given her a life sentence. And it's in that that she, the weight that she carries more than the empty water jugs to this well is the identification that all that she's searched for in the wells of life has left her dry and broken. And yet, in this story, for some reason, Jesus went to her. Maybe for the first time saw her for who she was. Maybe the first person in her life that was able to see beyond the sin and the shame, beyond the bad decisions and life itself that it's so consumed, beyond the personal voice, the, the voice that hides failure, louder than the public voice that highlights her shame, louder than the practical voice of just saying, I just am trying to do my best to get by, that life has given me a life sentence. Jesus encounters her in those moments. And and the most amazing component of these things is nothing, nothing about the decisions that she had made changed at all. Nothing. Jesus didn't look at her and said, okay, let's do this. Let's just make believe that none of that sin happened and let's start from scratch. Let's just go fresh again, hit the reset button, pretend that those things didn't... No, he communicates to her with the gentleness and kindness the very things that she's trying to hide, right? Here's what he says. Go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband, right? Trying to hide. Like, I'm gonna distance myself from this kind of line of questioning. He's like, you're absolutely right. You've had five and the one you're with now isn't your husband. And you know what she says? I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Yes, sir, that's right. Absolutely. I am a prophet. I can see what's going on in the deep recesses of your heart. I know what you want to hide. And you know what the most critical why behind the what is? Jesus doesn't turn and is not averted to the sin we're trying to hide. He's not running or turning a blind eye or disgusted or averted from the very sin that we would hope no one knows. Like he presses right into that conversation and says, you're absolutely right. You've searched your whole life to fill a broken well through the lenses of relationships and it hasn't worked. And so in the midst of that conversation, that reality of him unpackaging for her that he's the source of living water, He then moves the conversation to worship. She changes the conversation and he jumps right in. Says, you know, you say that we're supposed to worship on this mountain. We worship on this mountain. And he's like, there's a time that's coming when we will worship. And the time is now here, spirit and truth. That the reality of what worship is going to look like is going to fundamentally be about 
a person. The person and work of Christ. And she says, I know the Christ is coming. I get it. I'm, I'm familiar with the promised Messiah is coming. And he will tell us all that we need to do. And all Jesus says is, yep, that's me. I'm him. He makes this declaration to her. And so I would think that as all these things begin to unfold in her life, that her story begins to dismantle, the weight that she's carrying begins to to fade to the background, that things begin to change, and even the paradigm in her heart and mind begin to shift. But I would think that the first thing that she would say as she runs back to her village is, hey, I just met the Christ. Here's what she says. I just met someone who told me everything I've ever done. Wow. Like, why is that so foundational? Because there is a sense, maybe for the first time in her life, that there's an individual that has seen absolutely everything that she's done and didn't reject her. Didn't shun her, didn't shame her absolutely fundamentally pressed into her in terms of relationship that there was a value what happened in that moment was that her identity changed the parts of her story remained true those weren't changed at all the events of her life were things that were part of her journey but no longer identity statements She now had an identity with Christ. None of the events of her life had changed, but the control of those events over her identity did. She was no longer the person who had five previous husbands and a live-in lover who needed to be walking towards the well on her own, isolated by herself because no one wanted to be around her, and she was just the source of gossip. She had now met Jesus. And in that meeting of Jesus, her story from the bottom up completely and totally was altered it was changed from the very so that all of the events that led her to that moment and that well and that divine appointment with jesus were all part of god using those things in her life to draw him to herself so that now she became this evangelist to this village of saying look this guy told me everything that i did and he didn't shun me he didn't reject me he didn't push me to the side and decrease my value and tell me that i'm worthless he told me that he was the christ And in the process of those things began the process of change. I want to have you look at your story for just a minute. Looking back on the context of your own timeline, your own journey, which of those voices do you carry? The personal voice of failure that you would attempt to hide if... If people knew what you knew about yourself, they would do the very thing that you do, which is reject yourself. You see a sense of failure and shame that is so attached itself to your journey that you just feel like it doesn't make really any difference. And so you live distant and isolated. The public voice that highlights shame that all of those things that would be telling you that if, if, if the people around you knew the bad decisions you made and the, the shame that you carry from those decisions, all they would do is talk about how bad you are to make themselves feel better about themselves. Or maybe it's that practical reality. Challenge upon challenge upon challenge continues to mount and you're not sure that there's really any end. <laughs> it just is going to continue to get worse until God decides to show back up or take you home. 
life has dealt you a life sentence. In each of those moments, whether they're all three or just one, the goal of this text is to have the life-giving, life-fulfilling Jesus encounter you in this moment. Let me just give you the truth of what this text says. The very reality that she knew that Jesus told her everything that she had done is exactly the place that Jesus encounters you now. I, you, can't hide. But nor do you have to. You are invited through Jesus Christ into an intimate relationship where it is completely safe, where shame does not have to overrule reason or truth. You and I are invited to worship a God who has life-giving water, who fills and has the resources of his grace and truth abundant for each and every one of us, that it is not as though the knowledge that Jesus has over every motivation and every sin that exists in every part of our life is a place where he would turn his eyes or shun us, but it's the very reason that he calls us to himself and accepts us because you and I cannot change ourselves. So what do we have to do? We have to change how we change. Meaning that really the source of the story, the call and the commission of this Samaritan woman, as she can declare before the world, he told me everything that I had done. And you'd imagine the villagers around being like, we know everything you've done. Yeah, but you rejected me because of it. And it was the very reason God called me to himself. Like, just think about sin in that way just for a moment. Imagine that the very reasons Jesus is drawn and drawing us to himself is because of the very failures that we've committed. Because now we come to this realization that we need a savior outside of ourselves, that we can't fix our problems, we can't duct tape our lives, that somehow in some way it will hold water, that we are doing the same thing the nation of Israel did. That we have forsaken the God of living waters. We have hewn cisterns for ourselves that don't hold water. We go to wells every day seeking to find happiness and satisfaction in this earth that can only be found in Christ. He is the source of living water. Our hope is in him. Change how we change. That it's about intimacy with Christ. He knows what we've done. There's no hiding. But here's the promise of the gospel. You don't have to hide. It's the very reason that Christ came and died. That the world is sick and infested with sin. And so are our hearts. That we need to depend on the reality of Christ's condemnation on the cross to take our condemnation. And so now we're in a deep and abiding relationship with him. That he is invited and intruded into our lives and invited us to himself. The goal is to realize that as we hear the voice of Christ, everything changes. Not the events of our life, but the control that those events have over our life. One final question. Have you met Jesus? Have you met him? The Jesus of the scriptures. Not the Jesus that somehow is manufactured by religious people telling you you just need to do better and do more. should work harder. That somehow in some way if you deal with your shame and have your life figured out then you belong. No, no. The Jesus who engages and encounters you in your brokenness and draws you to himself. The voice of Christ changes 
everything. Have you met him? Let's pray.